Welcome to the Change Book Radio Show with your host, work-life fit expert, Deb Crow. Join Deb every week as she interviews the co-authors from all over the globe. They'll share their insights into self-empowerment with their personal stories and real-life experiences that will help your own personal development and touch every area of your life. Join Deb every Wednesday on Blog Talk Radio at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Well, good evening, everyone. It's Tuesday night. It's June the 20th, 2017, and it's the, the night before the first day of summer. However, the guest that I am interviewing tonight is already on June the 21st, and it's 7 a.m. for her, and she's in Malaysia. And I'm just very, very excited to have Alini Sarantanu, and I'm hoping with my little bit of an accent that I've done justice to her beautiful name, from book six tonight, and I just want to tell you a little bit about Alini before we start our wonderful interview, and and again, just intrigued that here I am sitting in Canada on Tuesday night at seven o'clock and about to speak to Alini in Malaysia, who's already on Wednesday at 7 a.m. Just the power of technology is phenomenal. Alini was born in Greece, and she describes it as the home of olives and grapes. She studied economics and had a very successful career in IT before she stumbled across life coaching and NLP. Today, she is an NLP trainer, a life coach, a wife, a mother, and an avid world traveler. Nothing gives her more joy than sharing what she's learned, and she she likes to allude that she is still learning herself. So, Alini, welcome to the Changebook Radio Show. Thank you for having me, Deb. Well, it's you know, I think as wives and mothers, we often have to ebb and flow, and one of my passions is work-life balance. And I just want to say I, I'm really grateful that I know it's very early in the morning for you, and you've got your tea and you're ready to go. And we were scheduled to talk last week, and life happens. So thank you for rescheduling and also getting up early to, to share the next hour with me. I'm, I'm really, really grateful to you. My absolute pleasure, Deb. Now, I know that you know some of the, the change book authors, but I wanted to ask you, what, what was it that drew you to Jim Britt and Jim Lutz, and what was your final decision-making, and what were you thinking that led you to join our amazing global community? Well, there is a story there. Basically, what drew me was Jim and Jim. I just received a call. Uh, it was exactly uh, the same time uh, on a beautiful weekday, uh, and I think it was exactly three years ago now, in June. And uh, so we have an anniversary, Jim and Jim. So yeah, I received a call from uh, Jim Britt, and he said, "Hi, I'm Jim Britt." And I said, "Hi." <laughs> so I was basically destined for Change Seven, book Change Seven. That's how it all started. And I was given five to six weeks uh, to, you know, to have the chapter ready in July. And I was very happy with that and uh, ecstatic, actually. And I was thinking about how to go about it. Only then they called me again. Jim Britt called me again 
a couple of days later, and she said, you know what, would you rather be in chain six because now we have an opening or we have a chapter that we need to fill in. And I thought instantly, well, you know, six is better than seven. And I said, sure. And what does this mean in terms of deadline? And he said, well, you know, it needs to be ready by tomorrow morning, uh, Malaysia time. And I think it was afternoon, uh, 1 p.m. for me. And I had delivered 7 a.m. exactly, you know, just like now, uh, Malaysian time. So it goes directly to the printer. So there's no delay to change six. So I'm really the last, last drop that entered uh, the book uh, six. And I, I sat, I mean, I immediately called my husband and kids hadn't come back. So my husband was on his way to Indonesia that night for work. And the kids normally go to bed at 7.30. So I nicely announced, my lovelies, you go to bed around five, <laughs> exceptionally, and you talk to each other uh, because I just need to write a chapter. And I sat there with my tea, just like now, kids very nicely calming their beds, uh, whispering. And my husband you know, said, I'm just going to give you a call every hour. Don't worry. Just get it over and done with. And I didn't move until 1 a.m., and I hadn't written, I hadn't typed one single word. I had crumbs in my legs. And I started getting a little bit dizzy. But I just wouldn't move to even get a second tea, second cup of tea, because I was like, okay, uh, that inspiration needs to come now. And if I stand up, I'm just going straight to bed. And that's it. So I'm not, I'm not going to let Jim and Jim down. Uh, and I'm not going to let myself down. Come on, I can, I can have this ready in a couple of hours and then have it behind me. So um, it did come. The inspiration did come. 3 a.m. And I finished it in one hour and a half. It just poured out of me. And I basically sent a, a page or a couple of pages to my husband who was still awake really holding my hand from Indonesia. And then 6.30, I sent it to Jim. Uh, the kids woke up. I prepared them for school. And 7 a.m., Jim said, okay, good, cool. And then I went to bed. I, I, love, I, I love listening to this because when I was interviewing Lucinda Anderson from Georgia, she had a very similar experience as you did, and she said that she put her pen down, and then she started to type, and she just had tears streaming down her face, and mm. she knew that she needed to type it as opposed to write it because her fingers just could not even keep up to what was pouring out of her. So such a nice, interesting story that you shared, and you just gave yourself permission to just be patient with yourself and you just allowed it to come. And it kind of leads into my next question because uh, I had mentioned to you before the interview started that you and I have synergy because you also went to university and, and pursued a corporate career. And you talk about really finding your passion when you came across uh, life 
life coaching and also doing all your different certifications in NLP and and some other therapies that you have. How did you cross that path and and what was where did you find that emotional grit or decision to to say this is really what I was meant to do? Um well I can start from the start, and still something tells me to mention my husband as first. Um, I mean, I wouldn't be here if it weren't for him. And obviously I wouldn't be here if it weren't for me, uh, because we, we create our destiny and our luck and our life. And uh, my husband has been really um, a very big force, because whatever decision I make, he's there to support me. We discuss, we take the the most uh, positive and congruent route in, in, you know, everything we do together and as a family. But it was really, I had a great, um, great career at, that, at the time that all this came to me. Uh, I, I worked for Oracle, I, a great employer, I can't repeat this enough. Uh, before that, I used to work for Hewlett-Packard, so I've been to California plenty of times. Um, I, I loved, I loved the buzz in such a big company. I traveled. Uh, I mean, everything was there. So I started with life coaching literally only for me, and that's what I thought. That's how I took it. And Oracle and Hewlett-Packard have invested enormously in my trainings or technical trainings, personal development trainings, anything I wanted. So, even with life coaching, I mean, of course, my horizons opened up. And at the time, I had convinced Oracle to move to Sydney uh, for uh, six, seven months. And I, I really still have a big network there because I started practicing in the evenings, life coaching there. Um, but it was really the very first, the very first day in my NLP practitioner certification in Dubai. And also, big credit to my first trainer in NLP, um, Mrs. Carol Talbot. Uh, she obviously, you know, had the character and the personality to, to move something that it w- was already moving inside me. That I literally, I heard what I knew unconsciously, but I had no idea how to approach it consciously. And I didn't even know it was there consciously. So that day, I went back home and somebody had told me, Carol had told us that, you know, there is this big force, the unconscious, and it's the biggest in our mind that actually moves our ship. And you might use the whole willpower and patience and kindness all you want. At the end of the day, you need to go in there and see what is programmed in there and work with that as well. So I went back to my husband and said, I, I, I'm changing career. And he said, okay, well, how come? Well, I need to tell the world and, you know, go out in the streets and run naked to get some attention and, you know, shake them up. That won't cut the deal. How many people can I actually talk to every day? I need to form some kind of organization where I can reach more people. So he said, sure, just plan it. And we took it from there. It wasn't easy. Well, a tremendous shift because not only are you initiating, you know, starting a new vocation, but all the elements of your life that fall off of that. And I know you mentioned that you you like to travel. So have you done a tremendous amount of relocation 
with your family because of your job or was it kind of a personal preference along with the job or because you speak of your husband being in another country as well. So give us a little insight into that journey of where you've been and, um, and why you landed up choosing Malaysia. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess, again, it's, I'm, I'm going to give you the answer that comes from the inside, uh, meaning I, I was prepared uh, inside me for an international environment all my life. My husband, my, my father um, is Greek, was Greek, he passed on, but he was raised very internationally in Cairo, in Egypt. And he, he, his first language, in a way, was French. And he lived, had lived in Belgium. He had been around. So, uh, and my mother, I mean, talking about families from refugees, it's all in the chapter as well. So then I get to meet, uh, surprise, surprise, in my hometown, small uh, country of Greece, in Thessaloniki, uh, a Dutchman. I mean, what are the chances? You, you cannot plan this. Uh, it was the first day of my real first uh, uh, job, and I was announced that there was a Dutchman coming for a couple of months, and I had to take care of him because I was the only one who spoke English. So, you know, the door opens up, and I see a nice smiley face in red jeans, which was, uh, you know, don't do that in Greece. <laughs> and that was international already, and we fell in love. And later on, our children are adopted from Cambodia. So in our house, Deb, we are pretty international. So it doesn't even matter what happens outside. In our house, we have three nationalities already out of four. So um, then we, 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 with the job of my husband, we already had moved to Dubai. And before that, obviously, we had gone to Amsterdam because he's Dutch. So already you had done three countries. And now Malaysia, it's again through my husband. So my own traveling has nothing to do with where we live because my clients are everywhere and I'm just going to keep on traveling and find them, find different mindsets and same mindsets. So actually, I still personally haven't moved in a way the family because of my traveling. And Whenever I travel, most of the time, I do it in batches, and the kids are still small, so they come with us. We, we plan my work with holiday. So except for, I don't know, two, three weeks a year, I have them with me. Well, that's wonderful, and that's what a lovely insight to, to work-life balance and having your children. How old are your children? 11 and 10. Oh, 11 and 10, nice. And are they siblings? Not uh, biologically, but yes, they are siblings. You can bet on that. Oh, that's <laughs> wonderful. That is, that's wonderful. And, and I love, like you said, you've got three different nationalities under one roof and just all the insight and beautiful awareness and education that you're bringing to cultural, cultural diversity is what a wonderful opportunity for your children. That is just such a nice Thank story. You. you you radiate such positivity. I I just I I love listening to uh, the happiness that that you're portraying when you speak about your life and 
how your husband's been such a positive influence and congruent in all the decisions that you've made. And I think uh, that I can agree with you. I've had a similar support from my husband, and uh, we're celebrating 24 years married and 27 years together. And I don't know about Malaysia, but in Canada we have a 50% divorce rate, so we always... uh, we always have a tears hmm. on our anniversary and celebrate that we're record breakers. <laughs> well done, you. Now, one of, absolutely. One of the things that really um, made me feel heartfelt when I read your chapter uh, in book number six called Sacrifice Less was the words from your mother. And I just want to read this paragraph uh, for our listeners, and then I'd like to chat to you about it. So the paragraph uh, that I wanted to start with goes like this. Ever since I can remember, my mother's wise words were, sacrifice less, give moderately, take care of yourself more. She knew how my brain was programmed. I, too, was a product of a history in which sacrifice was a driving force. By repeating her mantra, she was hoping I would step out of that circle. So you shared the story of how you gave yourself permission to have patience and let this chapter come and flow to you. And can you just expand about your mom's words and how you approach stepping out of that circle? Absolutely. Um, I think I, I speak on behalf of many Greeks and many other people in the world. I think it's not even a matter of uh, place. It's uh, definitely a matter of uh, decades and evolution of humankind and belief systems all around the world in specific uh, times. So uh, I found out that um, uh, the way I was raised, the way anybody actually was raised, was very beautifully based on values like uh, being kind, um, helpful, uh, mindful of other people and other people's needs. And I uh, was raised by my parents to, to do well. They, they did a pretty good job. So I took all these values to heart and I did my best. I truly did my best as a child and as a young adult, and uh, I've been told, you know, the feedback was there. And I got a lot out of it. I got a lot of love and praise and happiness and self-confidence. And one link that was just not fitting very well with me in all this mindset was that I had big events in my life that um, I hit the wall for no good reason, logically. And, and that was the missing part. I just couldn't figure out why. And when I sat down that uh, evening, that afternoon, to write uh, Sacrificeless, which is not sacrificeless, it's sacrificeless, like an adjective, being sacrificeless, um, was that I was convinced It was my moment, as I believe it's the moment for humankind, to walk away from sacrifice as the main focus and seek for more ecology of the mind. And unless you go to the unconscious and understand how the brain works, I wouldn't know. 
how you can do that. And meditation and mindfulness are there for us to explore, not as a hobby, but really go very deep and, and make them practices. And at the same time, we need to understand how the brain works. So when you sacrifice, to me nowadays, and I will sacrifice any day, I repeat that, if I have to, but it comes from a mindset that actually gave birth to war, gave birth to conflict, uh, and then you have to sacrifice for someone or something or an ideal or a person or your family. So if you had a better choice and more ecology, and more collective ecology in everybody's brains and minds, obviously that won't be the first choice because you won't ask ever from your child, could you just, you know, cut your uh, leg and your arm for me? You won't do that. So just because that comes to the physical plane, well, you know, emotional plane is just before that and the mental plane as well. So, and by sacrificing yourself, clearly you're giving the, the, the direction to your children, the next generation, how to go about life in a big way. So, and I'm just going to conclude this thought with uh, a big hero of mine, Gregory Batteson, who anybody who is into psychology, neuroscience, anthropology, sociology, uh, definitely knows uh, that he... Basically, a quote of his was, major problems in the world um, are the result of the difference between how nature works and the way we think, the way people think. And there's a very big gap there. And I think sacrifice is just one of the symptoms that we tried so hard and sometimes in vain to resolve conflict logically, bypassing the mental programming, the emotional programming, and then so many other goodies that we have unconsciously wired up for us. So that is basically how Sacrificeless was born. Well, I, I'm, I'm sitting here smiling ear to ear because my background in university is neuroscience. And I, my specialty was disability case management, and I worked with brain injury and spinal cord injury. So I, I love neuroscience, and I, I love the way you just broke down the meaning of ecology and how you talked about it being on both the emotional and mental planes. And I, I fully agree with you. I think sometimes we lack the ability to be logical, and I think that the thoughts come easy but it's very difficult for people to separate the emotion and understand that the logic needs to be the precursor to the thought without the emotion. And why do you think people struggle so much with that? And I think a good example for our listeners is I see repetitively in life coaching a lot of my clients, and it's not just men, it's men and women, and I even see it in groups that I work with sometimes uh, with employees and the way they look at their superiors or their employer, they take things so personal and they get caught in, in that emotional plane that you've talked about and that ecology of their mindset. And 
When you're coaching someone, why do you think the emotion is just so quick to come to the surface? What is your rationale and, and what's the strategy that you use as a life coach to help your clients? Um, uh, fine. Uh, to be clear, to be even clearer, I think emotions drive us. We have actually underestimated emotions. Emotions is uh, us. Every single word we utter uh, is emotional one way or the other. Um, emotions are not only the extremes, like I'm happy or, uh, oh, I'm sad. Uh, and, and we are emotional beings. And I am abs- I'm, I'm just going to really uh, give everything I've got to get emotional intelligence as a subject in schools. Two subjects or three subjects, I mean, that, that's what I'm saying now. I'm sure I can find even more. The three subjects that come to me right now that should be in school uh, as, as English and history and, and, uh, and math that I equally adore should be emotional intelligence, financial, financials, management, and, you know, and, and relationships. And that's where basically it's proven that the world needs more help with. We are right not to know what to do with our emotions and get emotional uncontrollably because nobody really taught us we don't have the education traditionally how to go about anger, sadness, fear, hurt, and guilt. And equally, we don't really learn how to make money, how to incorporate that domain in our lives. And when we are 18... And we know all about history and math and science and, and uh, anything in geography. Then in, in a few years, a couple of years, we are asked to go actually out there and make a living, which means we need to be able to manage money and make money. And then relationships. Um, yeah, you get the love of your family, but it's not really, you're not educated as such in how you go about relationships, how you build from the inside a deeper relationship with yourself and then others, how, do, how the different relationships are different, um, how you go about expressing, again, your feelings and your thoughts and the strings of what you are about to others, uh, how you build self-confidence and how you build confidence in others. So... These things happen if you happen to, to be in whatever family. But this is not in our educational system yet. And, of course, there are very big gaps. And everybody has a different brain, as the brain is. We're all different, like the fingerprint. Uh, so it's actually, I think, a bliss that we still communicate the way you communicate. I think... We are blessed, and the world, with the lack of education we have in these three big domains, should even be in worse uh, situation than it is. So I'm very hopeful, because it's not even that somebody needs to, be, to take the blame. It's just the evolution of mankind. We, we did pretty well, and now it's the time to again go to the next step. Well, and I think that uh, two of the three things that you mentioned, uh, financial management and relationships, I think are just 
core of our being as an emotional being walking this planet. And I think emotional intelligence is the foundation. And I just think there are three core areas, and I couldn't agree with you more. And just instilling the basic common sense things and elements that children are going to see at different parts of their development. And I'm not... I, I'm agreeing with you. I, I think the reading and the phonetics and the math and the science, I think it all has a place, but I also think there's room for improvement. So I'm really happy to hear you say that. I wanted to back up for a minute and talk about uh, when you mentioned about uh, mindfulness and meditation. And part of my practicing what I preach with work-life balance is I meditate every day. And I decided to put myself um, through a little experiment and I wanted to save this story to tell you during our interview. So I had a fairly big surgery on May the 15th that I didn't anticipate having. And before mm. I went into the surgery, I cleared my mind and I made space for acceptance and compassion and empathy for myself. And I also told myself that I was going to have a gentle and expeditious recovery. So it is, I'm five and a half weeks post-surgery. And I wanted to share with you, because I know Jim Lutz is going to listen too, because he's been asking me, and I said, you have to wait till the interview with Alini and you'll find out what happened. I was back at my <laughs> desk after two, after two weeks, and... Most people, not to be comparative, I'm just sharing what the discharge recommendations are, it's six to eight weeks. So I'm so in agreement with you on so many things, but our mind is so powerful if we just give it the time and the space and we allow the virtue of patience to just be and everyone around me is looking at me like, I can't believe you, you're superwoman. And I just kind of chuckle to myself because the mind is so powerful and you talk about acceptance as your favorite ingredient of all that you do. And I, when, I, when I read your chapter again, I laughed and I, I was very excited to share my own personal story with you just to, to show that those practices you know, as much as they should be daily if people are willing and, and have the time to do that. But even at a time where, you know, I had an unexpected surgery and I thought, okay, how can I how can I enter this and be prepared, but how can I come out quickly and with gentleness and acceptance and it be expeditious so that I can keep doing what I need to do. And I did it. And I have to tell you, it's been a very interesting self-reflective process for me well deb first of all um so fantastic to uh to have you uh live on the phone uh share your story and in a way i followed uh probably more unconsciously than anything this story and i i've got to really uh give you all my love for the inspiration uh, because it was incredible how you kept communication. We scheduled this interview a couple of times and it's absolutely miraculous how you kept communicating throughout the process uh, with a big smile, with tons of humor. And yeah, 
you basically interviewing me right now. It, it's just phenomenal. Well done. We need more of these stories. Well, I, and I'm going to pull it all together and do something with it, but I, I want to get to the other end and, of the, the circle, which is coming next week. And then I'm, like you did with your chapter, I'm, I'm going to just sit with it and I want to present it in a way that it's impactful and educational and like the work that you're doing and even as a mom and what you're teaching your children, I want my passion to come through with my purpose. And, and when they're aligned, I'll know it's the right time. I had a very interesting conversation uh, last night with Alan Witch, who sends his love, by the way. Mm. And I, I said to him that I love being a quiet leader. And after I said that, something in me said, you need to ask Alini that tomorrow night. I want to know, when I say that to you, what does that mean? And I feel that of you. Do you also feel that you are a quiet leader? Um, thank you for this. What a beautiful thought. Um, I, I'm, I'm, okay, if you ask me, I'm everything. So I'm the good and bad and the ugly. So that's my main cosmo theory. So whatever you tell me, do you think you're that? Well, I am it. I am it as well. Um, I think the more we explore uh, ourselves and our world within, we find the quiet leader, we find the loud leader, we find any kind of leader and any kind of other quality. Um, The way you say it, I take it in the sense that just do your share and trust in the universe that it all comes together. No need to uh, really expect anything back or logically um, demand from the others or the universe to follow. Just make sure you follow your um, gut feeling and your logic combined and your purpose and passion, as you beautifully said, and trust that um, people will follow as, as a theory, yeah? as, a, as a mindset. So I would agree very much uh, in that sense. Uh, I believe that in order to lead, you definitely need to uh, work on your following and I, again, think the, the way you have been programmed to excel and compete, which is fantastic and amazing, and I'm all for it. We also need to understand that um, not being over-modest or um, uh, giving priority to others in a way than ourselves, because if we are well, the others are doing well as well, but indeed quietly, do our thing without a whole lot of expectations that we have to win every battle. As I say, uh, especially this year, I think I've repeated many times, I'll say the following. The competition, the leadership is not about winning yourself. It's about your team. The, The team should win. And what does this mean? Think who your team is. 
And if you expand your consciousness and you understand that the team is the planet, is everyone, we're all on the same team, then obviously we, 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 it doesn't really matter who's going to win. It's just a matter of who's going to win on that day, who's going to represent a solution on a specific day. That's all what it is. Because you win one day and then next day somebody else will win. I mean, you can be a champion of anything. But let me just tell you some news, you know, world, and I'm sure everybody knows. No matter what a champion you are, well, you know what? You can do better. And somebody else will do better eventually. That is humanity advancing and moving forward. So when you say quiet leader, to me it brings this beautiful sense of serenity, knowing that it's not really competing in, in the sense that, oh, I have to beat uh, everyone and I, I want to be the best always. No, because that would just bring separation. It's really about keeping the connection among us. And once in a while, have some wins, as everybody does, and do our share. And, and be able to follow first. Following as in, not blindly, but understand where people come from. Go cross that bridge. And that's basically what I'm, I keep repeating to the leaders I train on, uh, on how to go about their teams. First, be able to listen, understand and, and utilize the talents of your team. And once you do that, you definitely lead. And that would be a part of, you know, leading quietly. I, I fully agree. And I, I love what you said about competition isn't about winning. You know, I, I had an Irish nana, and when I, when I read the words that your mom taught you, uh, I had similar beliefs and, and values instilled in me growing up. And my, my Irish nana used to say to me, you know, just love what you do and the money will always come. And I remember learning that at around eight or nine years old. And, you know, at, I was doing odd little jobs as a child and getting allowance. And, but going back to what we said, she was trying to instill financial management, work ethic, respect, all those other soft skills that make me who I am today. So it's just interesting to reflect back and see when those beliefs are instilled, all the different areas of our life that they've touched and we've grown within. Mm. And I, I love how much that you love being a mom, so I decided to have a little bit of fun with you on our radio show tonight. Mm. So, so for three years, I have been featuring a mom of the month so I thought we would have some fun because it's early in the morning and I know you have your tea, but you're very, very funky and sounding good for 7 a.m., which I love. So I'm going to ask you some questions that I ask my moms every month, and I'm not going to allow you to think about it. You're going to have to just tell me the first thing that comes to mind, which I think is the perfect game to play with you. So are you ready? Sure. Oh, of course. Okay. So this is all about motherhood. So the first question is, describe yourself in one word. Fun. Oh, I would agree with that. Question number two, what one characteristic would say makes you a different mom? A characteristic that would make me a different mom. 
What would you um, say makes you a different mom? What char- one characteristic would you say? That I don't have yet, you mean? Um, chilling on the sofa all day? There you go. You're a, you're a, you're a, you're a mom who likes to relax. That's a good one. What advice would you give the younger version of you? Uh, do it all over again. Oh, I like that one. I haven't heard that one before. Okay, now I'm going to give you six different words, and you have to tell me how they make you feel. What makes you laugh out loud? Um, people. What makes you excited? People. <laughs> no, this is great because I, I did this with Alan too, and some of these are the same people. What makes you motivated? Okay. Um, I have to, I mean, I would say people, but let, let's mix it a little bit. Um, <laughs> um, I, 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 myself. What makes you surprised? Um, the wonder of the world, nature. What, what makes you sad? Uh, uh, unnecessary pain. What makes you fearful? Um... My first answer would be not much, but I'm sure there is more to it. Okay. What is your favorite season? In Malaysia? <laughs> it's the same weather. I, I know. So uh, you're you're going to have to give the precursor now. I've got we, to I say know, 30 summer. degrees all I'm day and it, and it rains. Yeah, I've I know. got to say summer, 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 summer. I mean, I'm born 30th of July. I'm a summer girl summer well and today is the first day of summer for you because you're a day ahead of us there you go there you go what is your favorite meal indian indian what is your favorite hobby or self-care activity chess what is your favorite memory Um, me and my husband in Athens, three days, just the two of us. Oh, lovely. It was a specific trip. And what is... Yeah. Oh, nice. Recently? No, no. <laughs> 20 years ago. No, no. <laughs> Hence <laughs> your favorite memory. I got it. <laughs> What is your favorite? Tell me your. Tell us your favorite quote and why. Uh, I will stick to uh, what I shared of Gregory Batterson because that's where I am today. About um, yeah, uh, the major problems in the world are a result of the difference between uh, how nature works and the way we think, and and definitely the the quote I use for my company, which is action is a measure of intelligence by Napoleon Hill. Yes, and, and I know that you have that on the front page of your website. 
And so we are now halfway through 2017. So share with us your website and let us know what you've got planned for the remainder of the year. Are you teaching? Are you working on any writing? Let us know what you're doing. Thank you. Um, Well, first of all, okay, that will take three minutes, and I'm going to do it quickly um, because there's, uh, there are a couple of things I really want to mention I'm uh, ecstatic about. First of all, let me take the opportunity uh, to talk about Jim and Jim, Jim Britt and Jim Lutz, because I just visited the States a couple of months ago, and I joined them for uh, their program, The Vault, in San Diego. We met up, and I need, you know, it's a need uh, to express my gratitude for their existence. I mean, clearly they opened up huge channels for me, personally and professionally, and compliment them um, for the inspiration they are and how tender uh, they are, how sensitive and what poets they both are. So, um, and while I was in San Diego, I mean, I did a little bit of a tour because I had other things planned in the U.S., uh, so I passed from San Francisco. I went to Colorado to see a friend. And then I was in San Diego. And somewhere there, um, uh, I received a f- friend request via Facebook, a common friend um, of a, another friend of mine uh, who lived, who recently had moved to Santa Monica. So long story short, that gave birth, uh, especially because of Nadej. Uh, who is a friend who contacted me and opened her arms and her home uh, to me just while I was on my way to back to San Francisco to fly back to Malaysia. And she said, you're so close. You're in San Diego and you're passing through Hollywood in L.A. Come on, come and have a tea. So, and then she's a yoga teacher. She's an incredible yoga teacher. Uh, She said, why don't you just join me for yoga before you head to Hollywood that I had an appointment? And I ended up in this beautiful center, kinetic center. And I met the owners and I, we did yoga. And then, you know, in five minutes, we arranged that I run my first NLP certification course in Malibu, uh, February 2018. So that is a big one for me. It's uh, the first one in the U.S., and I hope to see many of you. Well, the groups are small, the 10 people. But Kinetic Center already is, has a, a, an amazing reputation. It's new, it's fresh, it has amazing practitioners. So that is one of the plans. And it's completely in line with all my international plans. Um, I have uh, France in August. I have Greece in August. So I keep busy, except for 80%, which is my corporate uh, uh, work here in Malaysia mainly. Um, I keep busy with all these uh, adventures, ventures uh, all around the world. And the U.S. is up in February. The other thing is that uh, a book that I started, I actually finished writing before Change 6. My own book, Perception Projection, um, I hadn't, ha, haven't published it yet or released it because it has given me so much. I, we need another three interviews for that. Uh, and now, finally, 
it's going to come out in uh, it's at the printers so in a couple of months so that will be a big one and i i really hope to hand it to you in person deb uh in 2018 somehow that's a wish so um that's mainly where i'm at right now getting the book out and uh, do the schedule of 2018 and touching on 2019. And I just came back from the International NLP Conference in London, where I met a lot of my peers and my mentors, and it has been exhilarating and amazing. So new programs come up. Embraining will be added in 2018. More that I cannot actually mention right now. So stay tuned. Okay, well, I've got you on live radio, so we're gonna we're gonna put that intent out right now that we're gonna meet in 2018. I am hopeful that I'm going to the next vault with Jim and Jim um, because of the the surgery and what was going on. I had an intent of going and wasn't able to. So, isn't that interesting? And I was wondering how you met my friend Maggie Slider. So you both were at the vault together. So all these little exactly. all these little relationships. Exactly. Isn't that interesting? Well, you and, are uh, a, what busy, a lady. busy lady. Well, I think maybe we should, we should, I said you are a very busy lady and mom, and I would love for us to co-create something. So I, I just love all of the work that you're doing and, and your chapter, just everything you speak of. I love all the cognitive, emotional, and neuroscience. Just all of those elements are just uh, part of my passion and all that I've done. So I think we have some synergies. So I look forward to us potentially doing something together as well. Could you tell me, um, are you able to share a little bit about your book in the chapter or is that you want to save for the release? Uh, no, in, and, and, and I, I need to also mention one more thing. Uh, before I go to my book, um, this is basically we're live on radio and uh, there was a moment for me a, a year ago, I think, or a bit longer, that because of Chain 6, I hooked up with Alan Witch, that, you know, you mentioned, um, who, um, yeah, I, I, again, I wish I had hours and hours to talk about Alan and his friend, Christopher Cumby. An amazing thing that it got me to, uh, to do my first podcast. And... Um, I would like to take the opportunity to thank Alan and Chris because they have been such amazing forces of openness, kindness, and what interviewers, my God. And that opened the way, you know, to, to our interview as well and so many other podcasts I did after that. Um, and already had mentioned about perception projection back then, imagine. So perception projection is uh, about leadership. It's... Um, for any corporation and any role anybody has in a corporation, basically, because I believe whatever your role is, you need to follow, you need to lead. The, the leading is not only for the person, um, the CEO or the CFO or the board members. And it's nine principles, uh, how to go about it. And I was fortunate enough to, to have a Canadian publisher Mr. Jerry Robert, who literally, if it wouldn't be for him, I'm not sure I would actually um, start this book 
But he said, just do it. You know, the Nike thing, just do it. Like you, you think too much. I thought to write a book, I had to be Dostoevsky, you know. <laughs> I obviously had to change some of my beliefs back then. And I, I did write it like chain six in a couple of days. But he also added the big element that I missed, that it's not about the book. I'm sure, Ellen, you're going to write the book in, in three days. It's all around it. It's your personal journey and the marketing around it. Because if you don't do the marketing, if you don't actually have access to the big crowds, your message will die. So in order to have your message come across, you really need uh, to find out how to reach as many people uh, as you can in this lifetime, not next. So he really opened up my eyes that it's not really about, yes, you have a message, and I'm sure you know how to do this. I'm sure you can write down and pour your heart out and all your principles of all the knowledge you already have. It's about reaching out and making it a success. And the collaborations that will be created with the interviews that you will do while you're writing it and the, the partnerships that it will create and the next book that it will give birth to. So I'm, I'm very grateful for that. And, and of course, now it's time that it gets published because I, I, if I leave it another two years, I'm sure it's going to give me more juice. But now it's time to basically move on. Well, good for you, and and I I was I had the pleasure of being on the Thinkful People podcast as well, and I got to be the first woman, so there was a little bit of pressure there. But the two of them are <laughs> they are a lot of fun, and there was a lot of laughter and a lot of joking, and uh, I, I have friendships with both of them now. And uh, we mentioned last night when I interviewed Alan on the Change Book Radio Show. I know when Alan and I meet face-to-face, there's just going to be tears streaming down my face because we've spoke on the phone, we've texted, we've emailed, we've Skyped. And mm. last night, we, we, we actually poured a glass of Malbec and enjoyed it together during our interview because we kept saying we need to get together for a glass of wine on Skype. So we did it last Aww, night. Oh, please invite just, me. <laughs> it was just so much. So I I totally agree with you about the two of them. And I just want to thank you for getting up early and having your morning tea and sharing your insight and wisdom. And I I do look forward to meeting you. And and I think next year there there will be a place somewhere in the U.S. And I, I look forward to receiving your book from you and having it signed and just reading all of your experience and education and wisdom that you're bringing to your book. So I just really want to thank you for coming on the Change Book Radio show, and I, I look forward to us keeping in touch, and uh, you never know. We might land doing something together. I definitely hope so, and let's plan. Deb, thank you. Thank you for the sweetness and it's incredible how you do it. And I, 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 I got to really mention this. You've done 60 interviews so far? Is that right? I, I do not know how many I've done. I have to sit and count them. Yeah, I think you, you I mean, only changed six. You, it's incredible how you brought us together in a different level yet again. And this amazing opportunity and how you do it and how much time 
and preparation you put into it and how much love. Thank you from the heart. Thank you. And I definitely, I'm, I'm going to envision our meetup in, in person, live. Well, and I want to say one more thing to you that um, I want you to know that uh, drew me to you and that I noticed even more tonight on the interview is you have honed the skill of listening beautifully. And it's something that my Nana really, really instilled in me. And I love when I'm having intellectual conversation with someone and you can just tell the level of listening that they have. And we share that together. And, and you listen to listen, not with the intent to respond. And I just want you to know that I really welcomed that and I noticed it and I want to compliment you on it because not a lot of people have it. Thank you. So I'm going to let you get on with your first day of summer in Malaysia and get yourself another cup of tea. And you just go out and do what you do in the greatness of this this world. And I hope you have a wonderful day. And it's just been a, just an utmost pleasure for me to be with you this last hour. All back to you. Thank you so much. See you soon. My pleasure. You take care, and we will talk soon. So how exciting for me, Tuesday night in Canada, Wednesday morning in Malaysia, and I'm just in awe with Alina's passion. I just love how present she is during uh, our conversation and her ability to listen. I love her positivity. I love her mindset. And I'm most excited that I can see her being a leader and spearheading a paradigm shift in our educational system globally. So I want to thank everybody for joining me again tonight on the Changebook Radio Show. And we'll be back tomorrow night, our regular night, Wednesday, June the 21st, the first day of summer. I cannot wait. And I'm going to be interviewing Andrea Wilson. So I will be back here tomorrow night live at 7 p.m. And thank you once again for spending time with me. And I hope you enjoyed my interview as much as I did with Alini. And have a great night.